The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. And the Ben Jarofsky Show starts right now. It is Friday, June 25th, live from my apartment and his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the program, we have the great Richard Steele. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Richard Steele Friday, and here's ah. why. We're calling it Richard Steele Friday because sitting right next to me, almost on top of me, is my old friend Richard Steele. Hey, hey. It's like I told him it was like the, those uh, Rolling Stone concerts where Mick and Keith share a mic. Uh, so I'm going to take these headphones off. There's no reason for me to be wearing them. Uh, and uh, take this out there. So uh, so anyway, usually on Friday, as everybody knows, we do, oh, what a week it was, where uh, Dr. D, Dennis, goes through the week's news, and I riff on him. But uh, since Dr. D is on vacation, I thought it would be a good idea to bring my old friend Richard Steele in. And he was so nice enough uh, to drive all the way to my house. This is the first time, Richard, anybody's ever been in my house to do a show. And I'm a fill-in? Yes. You're... <laughs> oh, wait. Let's okay. edit that out. Richard Steele is no fill-in, okay? Uh, but Richard comes on from time to time anyway. We, we have this thing where, like, he identifies the stories that uh, he's interested in talking about, and I identify the stories that I'm interested in talking about, and we uh, then we just talk because we are two champion talkers. And just for folks who may not remember, I'm going to give you a crash course on Richard Steele, uh, the legendary, he hates when I say it, because he, oh, stop calling me old. Uh, he was a disc jockey for many years at WVON. Uh, he was a radio personality uh, at, uh, I forgot the name of that station. What's the name of that station? B103 and WBEZ, yeah, that's the Chicago one was- Public Radio, NPR. Yes, that's the one I was teasingly forgetting. Uh, and uh, and people don't know that I'd like to remind him of this. Uh, he was also the uh, front man uh, with our mutual friend Richard Begee for many shows at Taste. Uh, Richard being in the back room spinning the records. Uh, Richard Begee would be, and Richard Steele would be up front telling anecdotes, telling stories. Uh, so he follows news, he follows music, he follows culture, and we talk about all that when you're on. So uh, welcome back. Good welcome, to be here. Welcome to my home, my humble home. Yeah, yeah, this is nice. <laughs> this is nice, you know. This is where you hide, right? Yes, this where is, I hide. It's great. It's going to get really hot up here. That air conditioner works periodically, so just a word of warning. Uh, this is like old school. Uh, all right, uh, Richard and I uh, were just talking. We're sitting at my kitchen table talking about what we wanted to talk about, uh, a mixture of national and local news. And uh, let me point out that uh, we realized that the um, – the sentencing in the Derek Chauvin uh, trial is probably going to come down uh, while we're on the air. Probably, so, yeah. Uh, so I'll be keeping my eye on the phone for that one, Richard, and we get into that as well. I'm going to start my uh, the thing that's burning on my brain right now. I'd love to get your thoughts uh, as a longtime Chicagoan uh, is uh, the performance of Mayor Lori Lightfoot the other day at the city council meeting. When was that? Wednesday, where she left the rostrum, left the podium. First, she recessed the meeting, called a recess, and then walked down uh, to the floor and went right into the face of Alderman woman Jeanette Taylor, who was on the show yesterday explaining what was went down. So uh, if anybody wants to hear Alderman woman Jeanette Taylor's version of that, uh, I urge you to check out that interview. Richard, I've never seen a mayor do that. I've been around a long time. I followed Daly, Rom. I was, I, I was even around for a brief period with Old Man Daly. He never did. Not even the old man did yeah. that. You know, uh, amazing. I mean, she actually waved her finger in, in the alderman's face, you know, 
uh, that was different. Uh, so in your humble opinion, what do you make of that? Well, you know, I think she's frustrated. I'm talking about the mayor now. Mm -hmm. I think she's frustrated. Um, she's losing control, or if she ever had control of city council. You know, and the bottom line is, I thought I supported her. I thought she was going to be a pretty good mayor. I thought she'd have a learning curve. But with her, it seems that she doesn't accept the learning curve. She's still going with, you know, what, what she thinks is, is the right thing to do, even if it's aggressive and in your face. And that's not working out too well. I mean, I, I, I was... I was somebody who I was convinced that she would, you know, like grow into the job. You know what I mean? I'm not so convinced at this point. And as a matter of fact, uh, she could end up being Jane Byrne of our era, you know, one one term mm. and out. The only saving grace at this point, and she's got, what, two more years? Yeah, two more years. The only saving grace at this point is uh, I don't see anybody on the horizon. I mean, in two years, somebody will show up. But, uh, I mean, she's not doing a great job. I mean, she's really... You know, you kind of give them latitude when they first start as mayor and you say, well, at some point, you know, they'll get it. And then some of the decisions, uh, David Brown, who's, a, you know, the chief of police, <laughs> he's, he's like, OK, but, you know, you kind of feel like he doesn't have a, a grip on it. Yeah. And so she's made some choices that are, you know, like I think are, are not good at all. And the situation with the alderman, um, this was about, you know, this was about uh, the Anjanette uh, Taylor deal. Yeah, Young, Antoinette Young. Antoinette Young, yeah, rather, yeah. Mm -hmm. where, you know, I mean, the, the settlement with the city was going to be a million dollars, and her lawyer said, you know, that's, you know, that's, nah, it's not good enough. And I agree. I mean, for what she went through, no, nah, I mean, that's that's not good enough. And so uh, the bad news is the, uh, the woman that the mayor just, well, she was going to appoint her, it has to be approved, and it hasn't been approved yet. Yeah. And she is the, she's the uh, corporation council, yeah. right? Celia Mesa, yeah. Yeah, and she she was the one she's the one who said, Well, you know, look, let's just let's walk walk away from that. We made the offer, it's not gonna change, and so let's walk away from that and call it a day. And that did not sit well with uh, the alderman. It did not sit well with a lot of people. Yeah. It did not sit well with me. I, I thought that was terrible. Well, I thought it was and you know, here's the thing, Richard. If the Best defense I could think of for Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And, and, and as I say this, I, I'm not buying it. I'm just saying this is the defense okay. that people, would be that she's looking out for the taxpayers. So she's trying to limit the amount of money that we as taxpayers have to pay uh, uh, Anjanette Young for the police raiding her house, getting the wrong house while she's stepping out of the bathroom. She's stark naked. Uh, they hold her captive in her own house, slap handcuffs on her. It's a total humiliation. Uh, and it was so obvious, like within a minute, that they had the wrong house, you know, and they still kept it going. And they <laughs> and they they held the tape. They, yeah. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, they had the tape because this happened like, what, a year and a half ago? This happened uh, December 2019. You know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, the, the police department was totally in the wrong. And one of the other problems, too, with this mayor is that what happened to the consent decree and all the follow up with that? You know, what I mean, it's she was somebody who campaigned on that. Yeah. And so now that you look at it and say, well, how far have we gone with that? Not far. You know what I mean? So um, there are a lot of problems. Well, so, OK, so. It's adding insult and injury. See, I'm trying to give her defense and I can't because I, I, I feel like you do. Well, I, yeah, it's I mean, insult I, to injury to compound the lawsuit, to play hardball, you know, and, and uh, Lori Lightfoot is showing her corporation. She's a corporate lawyer. And, you know, Richard, that's how corporate lawyers play the game. They got the money behind them. They can run out the clock. You know how that yeah, game is yeah, played. I know how, how I thought she would. Here's what I thought about her. I thought she knew enough about city politics. She wasn't a politician. She had never held elect, elected office. But I thought she knew enough based on experiences, you know, as in the position that she held in city government, that she could ease into the larger picture of being the mayor, which is, you know, and let's be honest, she inherited an awful lot of problems. If you, why would you want to be mayor in the first place? I mean, you've got, you've got FOP to deal with, with the police department. You've got the teachers union, the CTU, all of those stuff, all, all that stuff uh, converged in, 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 as it would for any mayor. And you have to deal with it. So I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, but I'm like, this is not working. No. You, know, you know, so I don't know what, what the answer is. You know, here's what I think, too. I think that 
somebody who's real close to her, because she's real thin-skinned, I think that somebody who's real close to her, uh, maybe somebody can get through to her and say, listen, you need to chill. You know what I mean? And nobody, I, as far as I know, nobody says anything to her like that. There are no, I can't think of anybody in city council or in, 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 in city politics who is close enough to her to say, to pull her coat, you know, and say, you need to, check, you need to take a step back. You need yeah. to chill. I don't, I don't think there's anybody there for that. Well, uh, now this gets to larger. Uh, you're helping me write a column on mine. Uh, the larger problem, I think, with mayors, in particular in Chicago, and I've said this before, is that we invest them with so much authority. And uh, it's, it's as though the Chicago mentality, Chicago mentality is all about feeling secure, most secure if we have a powerful mayor that was somehow or other, it's almost like a godlike figure. Yeah, but then it wasn't set up like that. It was supposed to be strong city council and weak mayor. <laughs> it's, over the years, it changed. after daily, yeah. the first daily, that was out. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it wasn't set up like that. Well, that, that's like everybody wants to be the first daily. Like everybody wants to be Daddy Daly, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, the man, yeah. the boss, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, so here's a question I have for you, and and Richard's not had an opportunity to entertain this one, but I'm going to throw this at you. And I've think been thinking about this since Jeanette Taylor was on the show, and she raised Jeanette Taylor herself raised this issue. So what happened that set off Mayor Lightfoot at the meeting was when two aldermen deferred and published the matter. So they used their authority they had to put off until another time a city council vote on Mesa as corporation council, okay? Uh, but as I said, there were two aldermen who do that. One was Alderman Raymond Lopez from the 15th Ward, and the second one, he was the one who said, I put a, uh, proposed to postpone for the next till the next meeting, and it has to be seconded. And it was seconded by Jeanette Taylor. Right. And Jeanette Taylor said, Ben... You notice Lori Lightfoot didn't go up to Raymond Lopez and put <laughs> yeah, her yeah, finger and everything. Yeah. He walked right by yeah, Raymond yeah. Lopez I mean, yeah. and went up to me. Yeah. What do you make of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, the alderman, you know, brought in the race issue as, as part of that. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't really, I don't know if that's necessarily what the situation is. Although there's still, uh, you know, some reverberation from her declaration about reporters Oh, yeah. That, uh, you know, that, uh, which I think was a big mistake when she said, you know, uh, she's going to be uh, partial to black reporters uh, so they can have access, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think you should make that statement. I think that you can. Harold Washington did it without saying it. You know, I mean, I used to have him on uh, like once a month uh, chat with the chief when yeah. I was on WVON at night and we take phone calls. So just he and I. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then once a month. They'd have a sort of press gangbang at, at GCI when all the black press would be in the Defender and all the other radio station reporters and newspapers. And uh, there'd be a round table and he'd answer questions. But he never made a statement that, that I'm going to, you know, uh, give preferential treatment to black reporters. Yeah. But the, the, the understanding in Chicago, and it all, I think it's always been like that with the mayor, is that if you're a black reporter, you'll never get that really inside track like some of the white reporters would get with the mayor, uh, other than Harold. I mean, whether it was the old man Daly, even uh, young Daly, <laughs> or Jane Byrne, any of those people. I mean, it was always, you get what you can and you try to get in and get your little questions in and yeah. see if you can get access. Did you have the feeling when you were talking to Harold Washington uh, that he tailored what he said for a black audience, like if he was on VO, your show at VON, do you think his rhetoric was different to that audience? And let's say if he went, and we were talking about WGN, so let's say if he went on the Wally Phillips show uh, on WGN. And you know that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was a, he's the ultimate politician, you yeah. know what I mean? He knew which, yeah. which side the bread was buttered on, yeah. you know what I mean? And so he was very good with it. I mean, he, he was very smooth with that, but he understood he was a politician to his core, and he was he came up in the Democratic machine. He knows what to say in terms of uh, you know uh, dealing with the press, whether it's minority press or whether it's a white press. I mean, he still made his points, and he 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 let it be known that you know he was definitely aggressive about things that were black in nature. But he also let people know that I'm the mayor of the city of Chicago, and so I'm going to address all of that and your problems as well. But I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I'm black and I'm going to deal with those issues. So he knew how to tailor what he had to say. I mean, you know he, he tailored Well, I, I have to say this about Harold Washington. Everybody knows he's my favorite mayor. 
and uh, you're in my you're in my room, so there's pictures of Harold all over the place in this room. And part of the reason I will admit this is because he treated me as a baby reporter back in those days uh, with like he gave me time and attention because I was with uh, an outfit called uh, the Reporter. Which was yeah, I remember the reporter. reporter. Yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. Uh, John McDermott was the was the publisher, and it was a absolutely a, it dedicated itself to racial issues. And he took serious that publication. And no, no, like he would give me interviews. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, and he knew he. I'm sure he knew the background McDermott and the reporter. Yeah. He knew about the reporter, and so he didn't go into a situation blindly. You know what I mean? He, I'm sure he had all the facts before he made any moves at all. And so, not taking anything away from you as a reporter, but he kind of knew what the landscape was uh, yeah. was about. You know what I mean? He made good decisions in that instance. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> the council wars with Ian Verdoliak, that was, uh, you know, I, I think he, he played that right because the reality there was, and I was told by somebody that Ian Verdoliak weren't all that angry with each other off the political scene. And I don't know. If that's true or not, I used to work with a guy named Ty Wansley, who was yeah, a news guy. Great Ty Wansley. And Ty Wansley and Vidodiak did a talk show right. on May WLS together, right? And so, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I spoke at his funeral, as a matter of fact. But, you know, uh, he told me some things about Vidodiak because he he, he, would, he traveled with him. He went to Florida and some other places. And he said Vidodiak would not, would not let anybody mistreat him from a racial standpoint and invited him to go places with him. And he was very, I, and I've also heard this about Vidoliak uh, a lot. He was very loyal uh, to people that people he was loyal to. He was loyal to them. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, he was always about power and money as opposed to being about race. If race will get you there, that's he the would point. Do it, you know what I mean? That's the point. Yeah, yeah. See, you know what I'm my, saying? Yeah, yeah that, that's the point about Vidoliak. Vidoliak put out that message. I'm not prejudiced. I personally am not prejudiced. And, and Robert Shaw, so many black politicians from the South Side who dealt with Vidoliak, Vidoliak was their friend. Vidoliak was not prejudiced, uh, not racist. But I, at some point, Richard, I don't care if you're going to use racism, sure, as a vehicle, and he did to gain power. Yeah, I don't care if you're really, you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> if, if you're a white person facing racism in Chicago, it's like you either are doing everything you can to conquer it, or defeat it, or minimize it, or you're exploiting it. You know what I'm saying? I. I don't care what's in your, I don't care if your mother Teresa in your heart, you know what I'm saying? If the practice is that you're trying to get white people afraid of black people all to gain more power for yourself, then what's the point? You get what I'm saying? I don't see a distinction. They always should tell me, Ed Burke, man, Ed Burke really hates black people, but Verdoliak doesn't hate black people. He's just using <laughs> racism. Oh, does that make it better? So it ends up being the same thing, right? That's my point. Because uh, I could, I could never, Burke was interesting in that, he and his wife adopted a black kid. I'm, I never could figure that out, you know what I mean? Because I, I never viewed Burke as anything but racist. I, I just never did, you know? So I don't, maybe that was his wife. She was a judge and she was a Illinois Supreme Court and all of that. So I don't know what that was about. But I, but I do think in regard to your remark about, uh, you know, people who, who play the race card or people who don't say anything. Well, you know, it's kind of look at the Chicago Police Department, all right? All police obviously are not bad. Uh, so how, how do you feel about, and being a policeman is a different situation, but what about people who observe all of these things that are taking place that are totally wrong uh, and you're a cop, but you don't want to speak up on it? I mean, you you, you know, you know, it's wrong. Even white officers who say, oh, that, that's awful. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, one of the Chicago police officers who was an active police officer was on at January 6th. You yes. know about that, yeah, right? Yeah, I know, man. You know? That's, that's deep. Yeah. So, so, but, I, but I agree with you, though. I mean, if you're going to use the race card... To say that Vidoliak was okay with uh, with black people, but uh, you know he used the race card in any instance. That you know. Yeah, and I and I knew Ty, and he's a great guy, and he had me on his show. God bless him. Anyone who put a lefty like me on their show, I always had sympathy for them, you know, empathy for them, or whatever. But I, well, Ty and I worked together, yeah. you know, on a number of occasions, and the guy was a really nice guy, but he was kind of a go along, get along guy. I mean, he always was, you know. He, <laughs> my my wife used to say. She'd say about Ty Wansley, she'd say, well, and I, we, he, she and I had to get into an argument about that because he was a good friend of mine. And she'd say, well, you, 
you know how Ty has no opinion. The sky is blue. That's his, you know, but he was good at his job. He did what he did, you know, and he did, and he did his homework and he was really good. So, and like I said, he brought me on his show. So I got nothing but love for him. All right. You raised something. And by the way, folks, this is just riffing. We're at the mic. I've never been so close to a man in my entire life. <laughs> Me either. Uh, Except my dad, you know, yeah. and he ain't my dad, yeah. you know. So uh, you mentioned something. You talked about uh, police officers looking at the way, looking the other way at evidence of something bad going back. Sure. All right. And uh, I've thought a lot about this. Uh, you know, how far would any of us go? Uh, well, and, yeah. And ratting out. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, because, I mean, you, these people have to have your back. And so, you know, that you can get taken out of the game totally by that, uh, you know, uh, if you if you do that. I mean, it's a tough thing. I, To me, if you're not going to resign from the police force and take another job, if you do that, you are going to be in a lot of trouble. I mean, there's no question about it. So I don't – that's a tough decision to make, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't you you want to be Serpico? Yeah, I was just going to say, you just stole my mind. Yeah. Uh, the great Al Pacino flick Serpico, I urge everybody to watch it if you haven't seen it already. The man paid – a huge price based on a true story. Uh, he testified openly about police corruption in sure, New York City sure. uh, and essentially was out, uh, bad, banished. Uh, from the, and we saw it here in Chicago when Danny Solis, the alderman of the 25th Ward, uh, it was, when it was revealed that he was wearing a mic and secretly taping. Oh, Ed yeah, Byrne, yeah. The other alderman basically called him a rat. And yeah. they like, they were, they're like, Closer to Burke than they are to Solis. Well, yeah, and part of that, you know, part of that is it was financial because, you know, Burke had a big fundraiser. Remember, even when he, I think this was after he was indicted. Yeah. And everybody showed up and everybody paid homage uh, because he had a lot of clout. And, you know, they figured, I mean, he had a lot of clout. He was, he was like major. So uh, a lot of them figured, well, I'd, I'd, I'd rather stay on this side of it. I think they were just... Kind of like with Donald Trump, yeah. you know, I think I'll stay up. But that was awful. I mean, you know, uh, the fact that the alderman decided to do it. It's kind of like in, in, in the U.S. Congress. And I don't want to go completely into another topic, but let me ask you this question. I'm going to take this for a minute. Go ahead. Regarding January 6th, mm -hmm. and the Senate said no to a, uh, a commission yeah. to investigate. A bipartisan commission to right. investigate. Right, a bipartisan commission. Well, okay. It was clearly an insurrection. Right. Go yeah. ahead. If I'm if I'm the Republicans, and I honestly believe that Antifa was part of it, and it was the FBI undercover, and blah, 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 and all those things that they're saying, uh, and that a large part of that crowd were people who were just, you know, uh, faking it, wearing Trump stuff, and all that. Well, then I'd say as a Republican, let's have the investigation so we can prove that. Wouldn't <laughs> I'm not that smart, but doesn't that kind of make sense to you as, when you say? I don't nope, we don't want to look at it, don't want to investigate it by making all these claims. Well, have the investigation, prove the claims. Yeah. Let, let's do that. I, you, maybe you're right, you know. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, I know what you're saying when you say that. And you have a you, folks, you could, he's got a, a devilish grin on his face because, uh, but you're absolutely correct. If they wanted to get at, to the bottom of what went down and prove did, the things if, that they're saying, exactly. And here's your chance. Yeah. And you always, they, they, like when it comes to their made up uh, allegations of voter fraud, they're still recounting votes in Arizona. So like they go to no ends to try to prove that there was voter fraud that didn't exist. But here's the reality with January 6th. Which is, by the way, my birthday. Is that right? Yeah. I did that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, there's no I'll correlation. I'll always remember that, you know what I mean? <laughs> there's no correlation, ladies and gentlemen, between what down, what down in the Capitol and Richard Steele's birthday. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Richard Steele just turned 43, uh, his last uh, Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> You're around 43. Yeah, uh, okay. Leave, leave it there. It's cool. Uh, anyway, um, so, uh, the Republicans, listen, this is the deal with the Republicans. I'm a humble opinion. Get your opinion on this. The, the Republican party, uh, realizes that Donald Trump, uh, has led them to a point of, uh, lawlessness. Right. Uh, that Donald Trump and uh, has been fabricating evidence of a, uh, a stolen election, fabricating it. It's non-existent. That Donald Trump riled up uh, a group of uh, true believers, uh, MAGA followers, uh, to go in, take the Capitol and intimidate Congress 
uh, into electing Donald Trump, overriding the will of the voters into electing Donald Trump. And they were literally intimidating. They were saying, Michael Pence, you have the gavel. You do your job or we're going to hang you. Literally, that's what happened yeah. on January 6th. We saw it. We heard it. We know it went down. If the Republican Party were to come face to face with enacting consequences for the people who stirred up that insurrection, that would mean that they would go after uh, Donald Trump himself. And he is worshipped by roughly 80% of the Republican Party. Listen, McCarthy got that phone call. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he made the phone call. Help, we need help. And he said this, but you know he doesn't want to get subpoenaed because you'd have to tell the truth. Yes. Uh, but I mean, it's... So it's, they want it to go away, It's Richard. sort of in-your-face stuff. Yes. I mean, it's not even hidden, you know? <laughs> They want it to go away. They don't want an investigation. No, I, yeah, well, they want it, it to go away. And I think in two years, it's not going to go away yeah, for the midterms. The Democrats, the other thing about the Democrats, so Democrats, to me, uh, you know, they play fair. They, you know, like, <laughs> you need to, what's the, you need to, you need to man up. You know what I mean? Uh, I think like, uh, like James Carville has said on many occasions, you know, you got to play the game to win. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, they don't always do that, and I think that's a loss for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I uh, well, I'm I'm happy to see that Nancy Pelosi. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, they're the the House is going to do its own right, investigation. Right. She's and, too sharp. She's really sharp. Yeah. You know. And, and so they're going to force the issue. Uh, and so the Republicans are going to be in a position where they're constantly defending Trump or constantly uh, undercutting the significance of what went down uh, January six. They really just want people to forget about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and these are the same people that had the Benghazi hearings that <laughs> that Hillary Clinton did for how many hours? Uh, you know, of testimony, and uh, and they didn't they didn't touch her. Yeah, you know you... what I mean? So, uh, but uh, that was uh, a Senate committee uh, that yeah. was you know uh, not bipartisan. No, if you're going to look for consistency uh, in principles, you're not going to find a Republican Party. This is my point all along. Uh, they're a, a, a tactical party. They follow whatever strategy uh, they need at that moment, and that's it. There is no overriding principle that governs them. Uh, it's merely what they can do at that moment to win the next election. But do you think there's a miscalculation here? I mean, because uh, a number of things have happened. Obviously, the, the uh, voter laws uh, that many of these states have put into, into, uh, uh, into the mix is going to make a difference. Uh, you see the announcement yeah. today with the Attorney General. Yes. The uh, Department of Justice is going to take a very close look at that in terms and of Georgia. the laws. And, and, and they're going to, and there's a lawsuit, as yes. a matter of fact, at this point. Uh, but I just wonder whether or not in the next, next election, will all of this action and all the press it's gotten, will that spur even more people to come out to vote? I mean, and say, you know, if you have the Democrats have a lot of activity behind. Um, the campaigns and saying, like, this is even more important than the last one. You really need to show up. You need to come out, blah, blah, blah. And also, there'll be more people watching, um, you know, even though in some states like like uh, like Georgia, this, this, the, the officials said this is this is the most honest election we ever had. Yeah. You know, this is <laughs> problem-free. Yeah. And so uh, I'm just wondering, will it, will it make some kind of a difference in two years um, in terms of spurring voters, some voters even more so than this last time. I, I, I don't know. That's a really tough... Because uh, the Republicans are looking at it like, uh, I mean, they look, Donald Trump got over 70, uh, uh, 70 million votes. Yeah. So they're looking at it like, we don't want to lose these people, you know what I mean? Uh, but they're also looking at, uh, like General Milley, you see what he said yesterday? No, he what said, he I'm said. a white guy, he said, and you know, like, I want to understand what the how, what is the rage, what is the source of the rage? Yeah. Well, the Republicans, as you point out, very calculating. They know that looking at the demographics, that you know, there's a demographic shift that's going to happen in relatively short time with people of color, and so they can tap into white rage about that. And they got a guy like Trump, who sort of represented, can represent that kind of thinking, and because uh, Trump doesn't care about it, he doesn't give a shit about. Uh, uh, about conservatism or about uh, no Donald Trump is about Donald Trump. Trump. Is about yeah, Donald Trump, Trump. Trump is about Donald Trump yeah. from start to that's, finish. That's it. But, um, and, and 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 trust me, if he thinks that Weisselberg is going to is going to uh, uh, flip, 
he will definitely throw Weisselberg under the. Oh, bus now scale. you're talking about uh, uh, one of uh, our dear friend Monroe Anderson's favorite topics, and this is the uh, financial person at Trump right. uh, uh, business empire who's under a lot of pressure uh, from prosecutors in New York City to uh, testify as to what he knows about Donald Trump's business affairs. We'll just leave it at that. And uh, and and Monroe's theory is that he has the knowledge. Uh, and the ability to bring Donald Trump down, uh, sure. to do to Donald Trump, let's say, let's what uh, Danny Solis is could do to Ed Burke. Okay, for all I know, he's been wearing a wire. You know, I I, I do not know that, but uh, you'd think uh, you'd have some kind of insurance. You'd think uh, maybe not wearing a wire, but something else. But here's the deal. I wrote something on Facebook. I don't know if you read it. <laughs> I wrote a thing on Facebook. I said, well, you're you're hearing it here first, and that is. A matter of fact that, trust me on this, uh, if Weisselberg decides he's going to testify, he will either have a, an unexplained heart attack and die, he will, he will either get hit by a hit-and-run driver, or he will fall out of a uh, window, a 10-story building, an open window. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like... In other words, you think that Trump is a mobster? Uh, look, I mean, he's got all the information, you know, and so I don't... I can't imagine... Trump not making a move of some kind if Weisselberg, because Weisselberg knows all the stuff, you know? Yeah, no. Uh, it, it, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, he he just check out, well, Trump's not going to kill himself, uh, but he, and Epstein didn't either. I mean, this wait, guy Wait, time is, out. Do you think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? No. Do you think, okay. No. I mean, I think that's, uh, any reasonably intelligent person would say no. That's He had all this information on all these people, and in order to keep doing a lot of jail time, if they, they're going to press him, uh, you know, look, we can reduce almost to nothing if you, but you got to give us some news and some people and yeah. some names. He had all the names. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he's not going to live. Yeah. He's not going to live. Yeah. He hanged himself in his cell. Yeah. Please give me a break. Uh, and the uh, the guards just happened not yeah, to happened be watching. Yeah, happened to be watching, you know, at that point. So uh, I yeah. think in terms of Trump in that same uh, situation, I don't think Trump is going to. Uh, do anything to himself because he's, his vanity wouldn't allow him to. I mean, he has no conscience and no, uh, no moral center, nothing, you know. But about throwing you under the bus, he had no problem with that at all. Oh, that's done. Because his defense yeah. is going to be, as his lawyers are saying, uh, if they shift it to the thing about, you know, because he never put anything on paper, he didn't write anything, he didn't make any notes. Yeah. And so uh, if he can shift it to, look, that's what Weisselberg was doing this stuff and I didn't. I didn't know anything about it. You know, like he was on his own with that. Well, even if you don't buy that, there's nothing, if there's nothing yeah. on paper, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, even if he signed some shit, he could say, I just signed it. You know, well, I didn't, uh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> he just, oh yeah, good boss, just sign this <laughs> yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Try that one with the jury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A New York jury. <laughs> try that one with a New York jury, Rich. I, I, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to fly. Now, let me ask you a question about something else. We didn't talk about this yet. Okay. Uh, Lakeshore Drive and the naming oh, it so. after DuSable. All right. Well, which is another issue at City Council that uh, Lori Lightfoot is dealing with. Yeah. As we speak, uh, the council, or maybe they've already completed. Uh, so there's a compromise. I was just uh, uh, talking about this uh, with somebody before you came over. Uh, there's a compromise where they'll call it DuSable Lakeshore, Lakeshore Drive. Drive right. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. Get your thoughts okay. on this one. Um, I, I thought this was, uh, how do I put this? Uh, what a, an absurd uh, controversy. I did not see, like, naming it uh, the Outer Drive for DuSable, the official name, does not cause anyone to have to stop calling it Lakeshore Drive. Mm -hmm. If you, Richard Steele, a lifelong Chicagoan, want to spend the rest of your life calling a Lakeshore Drive, it's not like they're going to throw you in jail. And I've always point out, like, I don't know anybody. Sears Tower. We say, there you go. <laughs> we still and, call and, and, and right now, I'm going to put it to you. This man is a Southsider. He went to uh, Hirsch High School on the South Side. He's South Side his whole life. It was nice of him to come to the North Side to do this show. But, he very, you know, he's a Southsider. Name right now 
for 10 trivia points, the official name of the ballpark where the Chicago White Sox I play. knew you were going to ask me that. Yeah. I, <laughs> you can't do it. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I really right. have no idea. I really don't. Uh, you know, so you have your point. Guarantee your right point. field. Nobody knows the name. And the only reason I know the name of it, I've been to two games this year, and I got the ridiculous sign up there. <laughs> and Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, said, he cut the deal. He got the money from Guarantee Rate. And then he said, he goes, you want to call it Comiskey Park? Call it Comiskey Park. If you want to call it White Sox Park, call it Park. <laughs> if you want to call it Sal, that was with the last deal he cut, I don't care. You know, basically. So it's like, why? Then the people feel, Ben, you don't understand. We branded that as part of our identity. And then I, Neil Steinberg actually put this uh, in the paper today, which I, 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 I just couldn't, I, I just didn't buy it. Like, people... It's a positive view that people have of Chicago. Like people will come to Chicago because of Lakeshore Drive. Richard Steele, I don't believe you can find one person in the world who has come to Chicago because it's called Lakeshore Drive. And we used to have, I'm going to riff it, we used to have something called Maxwell Street. And you know what Maxwell Street is because you're in Chicago. And I know what Maxwell Street is because it was still around when I came here. And that was that flea market. Every Sunday you go by Stuff at Maxwell. Mayor Richard Daly thought it was ugly, and he got rid of Maxwell Street. And literally, there were people who identified Chicago with Maxwell Street. So, if you were going to use the argument that tour, there are things in Chicago that tourists love that bring tourists, to, think about it: the Blues Brothers movie with uh, Belushi and Aykroyd. There was that scene in Maxwell Street. You remember where yeah, Rita sure, Franklin sure, sure, was the absolutely. waitress yeah, at the, waitress uh, the, yeah, the restaurant? Yeah. At the restaurant. They got rid of Maxwell Street like that. I didn't hear one person except for a bunch of lefties like myself <laughs> talking about how Maxwell Street has an international appeal and a ring. And the, the, the whole series of blues guys who, who got their who got their start, uh, you know, singing on Maxwell Street in front of a crowd, yeah. you know, getting some getting some bucks, getting a few dollars here and there. But um, I mean, some who became very famous because uh, Maxwell Street, that was the place where people went, you know. And I remember as a kid, I used to, I used to go over there and shop for real cheap stuff and get, you know, it would look good in school, you know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> took my little paper out money and went over there and got yeah. some stuff. You know yeah. what I mean, so, but yeah, you're right. It was Maxwell Street was a definitely a draw for Chicago, uh, but you know, the development thing took over the idea about developing the area, and they did, and they eliminated Maxwell Street and the little area they have now where they have, you know, it's just terrible. I've, I've been over there, yeah, and it's. Nothing. I mean, it really isn't, comparatively speaking. Yeah, to what Maxwell Street was. So that's my point. It's like they pick and choose what they consider like great traditions in the city of Chicago. And you know what? Naming the street for the black guy. I'm like, what's the matter with that? So look, I'm, I'm in. I'm in favor of what you said. You wanted to know what I thought. I thought that uh, Dusable Lakeshore Drive is fine. You know, I don't have a problem with that. That's uh, and that's the compromise. Uh, Lori Lightfoot wants. In addition to if he, if she signs onto that, she wants to uh, she wants to uh, change Millennium Park, the name of Millennium, also Riverwalk. Uh, you know, like <laughs> wait, 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 look, <laughs> just go with Dusable Lakeshore Drive and leave it yeah, at leave that. It at you know that. what I mean? I know, so, it's overkill. Uh, on, <laughs> just now they're naming everything Dusable. She just can't. It doesn't seem like she really kind of knows what to do, or she makes bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, when looking at the entire picture, and she says, "Well, I think I'll do this." No, that's a bad idea. You know, yeah. uh, nobody's advising her. Nobody that I know. By the way, she that was a, a slick move though that she pulled. We we had fun with this one, uh, Richard, for many weeks. Uh, I think for two weeks uh, at the last meeting or two meetings ago. Uh, Sophia King, the alder woman of the fourth ward, and David Moore, the alderman of the seventeenth ward, uh, had the votes apparently to approve the name change. Uh, now, I don't think they could; they had the votes to override a mayor Lori Lightfoot veto, but they they claimed they had the votes. And so, at that crucial moment at the meeting, uh, where uh, Sophia King was moving to have a roll call, uh, instead of. Uh, recognizing Sophia King to call for a roll call, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot pretended that somebody else had his hand up first. And so she went with Brian Hopkins and he asked to defer and publish and postpone. And there's, you know, tape that we play all the time of, of uh, Sophia King said, come on, Madam President, you, <laughs> you're better than that. Don't even try it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and yeah. so that gave her the time to buy the compromise uh, so that she didn't have to go through the veto process. And uh, I, I, you know, I would have had, I don't know, I would have 
greater respect for Lori Lightfoot. She let the vote go down. She loses uh, and she vetoes it, gives her a reason why she vetoed it. You know what I'm saying? Whatever your reason is, why you're against it, explain it. And then see if the other side can override her. I mean, she doesn't seem to have any wins at this point. Uh, you know, like the state, uh, uh, I think it was the state of Illinois, decided that we'd have an elected, I mean, a, uh, elected, yeah, an elected school board, board yeah. you know. So, uh, well, anyway, look, let's move on to something else. Let's move on else. to something else. This is uh, the next topic I wanted to ask you about, uh, crime. And uh, it, Are you uh, asking me about crime because I'm black? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're awfully close to each other. Did I tell you about that? The man is literally right next to me. Uh, so there's no crime being committed here. Um, speaking of crime and black people, Eric Adams was just elected. Uh, the, well, he hasn't uh, been elected yet. You're right. I said corrected. Uh, he was the what looks like he yeah, was the he's, winner. He's the front runner. At he's this the point. front runner. Yeah, they have that uh, rank voting system. So I said talking correct. about the mayor of New York. That's yes, correct. Uh, and uh, he ran. Uh, as a law and order candidate, right? Uh, very much against defund the police. And he also ran, uh, pointing out the obvious, that he's a black man in New York City and he's been harassed by police. And so he's going to be uh, vigilant to protect uh, black citizens of New York from that kind of harassment. But at the same time, he's not going to be for defund the police. He's going to be for uh, uh, cracking down on criminals and throwing them in jail. And uh, he won... Uh, Richard, last I saw the article I sent you, I think he won over 50% of the black Yeah, he's vote. got the larger percentage of the vote. Uh, yeah, and so he probably will end up being mayor, um, which will be, what, the second black mayor? Dinkins was the first one. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting situation. And uh, let me ask you what you think about this. Uh, uh, the policies that uh, uh, happened under uh, Rudy Giuliani, the broken window policies and the st uh, stop and frisk, uh, were objectionable to a lot of people, especially if you're black or Hispanic. But the crime rate rate went down at that point. Was that is that just a matter of timing in terms of what was happening crime wise in the city, or do we does he deserve any credit for that? Even though it the the thing harassed a lot of black people and a lot of Hispanic people, and uh, it really got totally out of hand. You know, so I, I you know it's. Something to think about. What do you think? Well, you know, it's uh, if you're going to have a real serious discussion about crime, uh, you you have to take a look at long term trends. Uh, and so, the Giuliani years, crimes started to fall in in New York City, but it continued to fall after Giuliani. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and it fell into the De Blasio years, and he was the mayor who said he was going to stop, stop and frisk, and he did stop, stop and frisk. And so, Richard, my my general sense of this. Uh, I'm helpless on this issue. And I, uh, what I mean is, I don't believe I've ever read or seen anyone articulate a policy that can be followed that would uh, clearly, is it clearly established that it reduces crime. And I say this as a guy who's lived in Chicago since 81. And ever since I've been living in Chicago, uh, there's been moments in Chicago where they do the equivalent of what Rudy Giuliani did, mass arrests. You know, I'm in the 80s. There was a guy named McCarthy, and he was all into sweeping the streets. And he was a, a, one of the top commanders. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And sweeping, sweeping the streets of Chicago, just locking everybody up. And then, you know, they were locking so many uh, black people up for uh, marijuana possession. That was the that was the the key to get let's just sweep the Oh, you got a joint? Boom, you're going to jail. <laughs> right, you know? right. so, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and I, but this has always been a violent city. Where is the evidence... That it like just mass arrests does anything more than harass people. No, I, I think that's been proven. I mean, you know that that policy is not a workable policy. It doesn't help anything. It doesn't change anything. I think you're absolutely right about that. It's, you know, uh, we'll see what happens um, with this guy in New York because um, he will win, and uh, you know it'll be on him to prove what he said. You know, I mean, it's it's a tough job. You think being the mayor of Chicago is tough? Yeah. <laughs> being the mayor of New York City, yeah. uh, you know, which encompasses like five little cities, those boroughs are like cities, you know. Yeah, but he—he's uh, from Brooklyn, he's where, from Brooklyn. Uh, where I was born, you know. <laughs> so I forgot that you told me that once yeah, you were born yeah. in Brooklyn. How did you end up in Chicago? Uh, it's a long, boring story, but uh, uh, I think uh, I came here when I was about uh, nine. Uh, yeah, but the difference with me and other kids in school was that. For black kids, every summer, 
in my generation, black kids would go back to see their grandparents in Mississippi and Arkansas and you know play, point south. I always went to Brooklyn during the summer with my grandparents and played stickball. So when school started again, my st- what did you do over your summer vacation? My story was always totally different. They look at me and say, "What's wrong with it?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm trying to. You don't really have a New York accent. Well, that was a problem for me. I'm glad you mentioned that. When I when I when I came here as a kid, and because I used to go back every summer, when I came here, I had a mixture of because my my grandparents are from the West Indies, from Barbados, and so. I had a mixture of West Indian and New York. And the first school I went to, I had a teacher, I'll never forget this. I had a teacher who escorted me personally to another room to hear another, have another teacher hear me talk because they never heard anybody like that. Because all the kids, most of the parents and everybody's from the South. And so here's this kid who sounds like a mixture between (laughs) West Indian and New York. And they were, listen to him. You know, like, and so it was, I'll never forget that. It was uh, kind of demeaning. I didn't really totally understand what that was about at the time, but I, I'll never forget that because I was sort of like on public display. Just, How long did it take you to lose that accent? Um, a long time because oh, yeah. I never really, I never really, my mother, who was also born in Brooklyn, when she came to Chicago, she readily adopted a Southern accent. I mean, she used to, I used to say, I, I can't believe <laughs> you really sound like that. Yeah. Um, but I never did. Uh, I mean, I, not purposely. I just didn't, you know, it just didn't work for me, yeah. you know. At the end of the day, too, uh, even with a little embarrassment when I was a kid, I think at the end of the day, that combination of factors for me proved good for me in radio. You know, it gave me more of a general sound. Yeah. You know, and so that was good. Yeah. Well, I, uh, my father has a similar story. Uh, he's from uh, Arkansas, rural Arkansas, and the family moved to Philly when he was about 13 or so, something like that. And they looked at him like a creature from Mars. <laughs> he was a good old Southern kid. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I got that Southern. Uh, the family moved around a lot, uh, but uh, they were like, huh, who is this guy? Uh, and he was calling the teachers ma'am, and, and they go, uh, you know, sir, and they go, we don't do that up here. You know what I mean? He was, yeah. he was, he was he that Southern thing. He but, got over it really But, but you know, there was, some, there was some language things, too, because in Chicago, uh, when I was a kid, like if you wanted to get a quart of milk, they call it sweet milk here in Chicago. I was like, really? Does it have sugar in it? No, just sweet milk. Just get a, get a carton of sweet milk. And also on the East Coast with uh, New York and Boston and some other places, uh, it's called soda. It's called pop yeah, here in Chicago. Soda, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, pop, yeah, yeah. That was, and so I'd say things and people look at me and say, well, what is he talking about? You know. All right. Now, before we completely switch gears, uh, the sentencing hearing who was convicted is starting. So it's happening right now. So okay, it, okay. it may be finished and completed before we're uh, uh, I got it uh, set to the New York Times here. And it uh, it, it hasn't happened. Um, it happened to the Derek Chauvin. Yeah, I think he watched it live. So uh, I don't know if we'll have an opportunity to talk about it. Uh, so let's uh, switch topics again, uh, more to the cultural side of things. And I had a revelation, ladies and gentlemen over the last month or so about Richard Steele. I've known this man for a while, and I did not know that Richard Steele was a basketball fan. I always <laughs> thought Richard Steele was a music guy, a politics guy, that you weren't into sports Love at all. Love basketball. And and to my shock and amazement, um, he is a diehard basketball fan, probably is deeply uh, rooted in the sport as I am, which says a lot. Not quite as much as you, but, uh, you know, if anybody can do that. You <laughs> All know, but... I know is that every night I get a text or two or three from Rich. I have a whole group of friends, Richard, that I text uh, during basketball games because they're I know they're watching okay, it, okay. and you are now on that list. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, talk a little bit about that. I, well, you know, you look, just kept that a secret. These, these guys are, I mean, these young guys are so good. I mean, it's. It's kind of like not just one team, because the one team with all the great players, uh, guys got injured. Injured, so uh, you know the Nets yeah. ran up against the wall. They have they, they got these three great guys, but you have an injury, and that's it. Kevin Durant was just incredible. Nobody can play like that for 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 that period of time, playing a whole game and trying to save the team. But the reality is about basketball at this point. All these other teams have got split up they have these guys who 
uh, you know, uh, who are just absolute kawaii and uh, the Greek freak and and the kid in Atlanta, uh, Trey Young. Young yeah. Jesus, I've never seen, he he was, and the deal with him. This is my thinking too. Uh, the other night when Paul George missed, yeah, he, he made up him. last night. He, yeah, he, did. Know, he made it up, but, but he missed those two free throws, which would have sort of guaranteed them, yeah. them the game. Uh, and I said to you by text, when you get paid that much money, you, you know, that's, you know, like you don't miss those free throws. That's what you're, that's what you're paid for. Yeah. You know? um, uh, the flip side of that is when I think about Trey Young, even nights that he did not have a good night, he made, you know, the necessary, he never misses a free throw. And he, 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 he contributed at the end of the game by, you know, putting them in the place they needed to be. So uh, these young guys are just, some of them are just so incredible. All right, so I want to go back to the free throw thing because that's yeah, yeah, actually yeah, where yeah. I wanted to go. So it kind of struck, first of all, I was surprised that uh, Richard was a basketball fan. I got over that. I've accepted him. He's proved it, <laughs> his knowledge that he is really a legit basketball fan. Okay, so then what caught me off guard, and I'm going to set this up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it was a very exciting back-and-forth game between the Los Angeles Clippers uh, and the Phoenix Suns, and uh, the Clippers had – been down the whole game, like the last two minutes, led by Paul George, they had this comeback and they took the lead. Uh, It was desperation time for the Suns. They intentionally fouled Paul George to put him on the line just to stop the clock and uh, get the ball back. The the Clippers were up by one. If he hits two free throws, uh, pretty much guarantees at least an overtime game because the Suns can only uh, prevail by three-pointer. He missed both, both. free throws. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I was rooting for the Clippers. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? And, and, and just to let this audience know, uh, Ben Jarofsky sent me a text and said, I, I know the guy is hurt. No, feel like feeling sorry for the guy. I'm like, nah, nah. I'm like Shaq on that one, although I didn't see the conversation on that one. But, you know, Shaq doesn't give anybody any, any leeway at all. You know, he was a guy who couldn't make free throws at all. Well, basically, in this situation, Richard Steele was Eric Adams, and I was Maya Wiley. And I'm Maya Wiley, the, le- the lefty who finished second in the New York race. Come on. Let's just have a heart and passion <laughs> for the and for the people who do wrong. And Richard's like, throw him in jail. Throw the book out. Yeah, I mean, for that much money, you know, both free throws, you know, like, then that's what it's called, a free throw. <laughs> Michael Jordan was death on that when you when people started missing free throws. Well, I will like, just tell you this about Michael. But he Jeff, would he would he, stay in the gym for like uh, in practice and mm-hmm. shoot a hundred free throws. As a diehard Bulls fan, I remember Michael Jordan missed a crucial free throw. This this shows the depth of my knowledge, and it's really a cry for help, Richard. Uh, in nineteen eighty nine, <laughs> oh, the playoff God. game against the Cavs, he missed a free throw that would have sealed the victory for the Bulls and would have won. Uh, the series out. Instead, it went to a final, a game five, a decisive game. Those games five, best of five, in Cleveland. And that was the game where he hit the shot at the buzzer to win the game over Craig Elo and go to the next round. One of the greatest shots in his career. But he has said this. He go. He would not have had that moment of utter greatness and triumph if he had not had a moment of failure. Okay. Before and he was crying in the locker room. And re- I remember the Reverend Jesse Jackson somehow or other explained to me, Richard, how Reverend Jesse Jackson always gets these passes. <laughs> he was in the locker room comforting Michael Jordan after he missed that free throw. So I mean, it can happen, you know. I, you know, but it just seems so immediate in this situation where you know, I mean, they only had like seconds left in the game, and the guys at the free throw line. He's a great, he's a great shooter and good player, better than average player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he you know he's he's a, a main guy. Yeah. And you miss one, yeah. but both when he missed the second one, I went, oh no, he didn't do that. Hell yeah. no, he didn't miss the second I don't one. Know how he missed it? And you know what? Now here's a question. Now here's a, now we're doing basketball. So I'm watching the game with my wife. Paul George goes to the free throw line, and my wife says he's going to make them both, and he went and missed them both. Now <laughs> I'm going to ask you this, Richard: Am I illogical and irrational when I say? Her saying that jinxed Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of like uh, when <clears throat> when the uh, bad <clears throat> the basketball guys who are uh, going, doing color for the game, right? Yeah. Every time they say, "Well, you know, so and so, he's uh, you know, he's uh, he's really great at three pointers," or 
So, so he's made like 11 of those. He's amazing. Next one, he misses. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you ever notice that? Yeah, you know, I noticed right? that. Yeah, That's yeah. why I've learned over the years, don't say anything. That you, but it, the reality, I know, ladies and gentlemen, that what I say to my wife or what she says to me in the comfort of our home, ha, all, all the way across the country from the game that's being played, has no, no effect, effect at all. Whatsoever. Yeah, you know, I agree. You know, but she, you, yeah. you, you do kind of feel like, oh, you said, even, you said that and look what happened. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like the butterfly effect. Somehow or other, her saying that influenced everything. You do uh, feel like that. Oh, by the way, one other note on that, on the on basketball, period. The Bulls got nobody. Yeah, in no, the draft. Yeah. I mean, they got zero, zero, nothing in the draft. And then there was some talk about, I don't know if you read this, about in a series of trades, it might end up with us uh, getting Ben Simmons. Do yeah. we, do we want that? that? I mean, yeah. I mean, well, okay, now, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Simmons is an outstanding player for the Philadelphia 76ers who has, who has a problem of he is really in a, having a mental in a mental funk over his inability to shoot. He's afraid he actually he's afraid to shoot the ball because he's afraid of getting fouled because he's afraid of having to go to the free throw line. And and so he's in a funk. If you can overcome that psychological right. challenge that he has, uh he could be an outstanding basketball player that could help the Bulls. The question is, uh do you think the Bulls have I think he needs a therapist, man. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, some, uh, you know, who knows what makes you step up? You know, I mean, sometimes you develop as a player, but as you pointed out, he's got all these psychological things that are jamming him, you know, um, because Jimmy Buckets wasn't a star when he yeah, came here. Bucket. and But he, he he's a hell of a player, yeah. you know what I mean? So he may overcome it. He may overcome it. Because really it's like uh, the Greek freak, freak, Giannis, when he when he – when he goes to the free throw line, you always go, okay, he's gonna miss uh, all or both of them or at least one of them, and he has to, he has to really concentrate yeah, to try to do that. As yeah. great a player as he is, he cannot make free throws. I mean, he's, he is better than Ben Simmons. He is. Oh, he is. Oh, he's, he no, hits, yeah. yeah, he's better yeah, than Ben yeah, Simmons. Because ben, ben Simmons is terrible. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah, I, he's I, awful. I, I feel for the guy when he goes to the line. He's, he's got that look. You know, you kind of know. Okay, he's gonna miss. Yeah. He's gonna feel bad. I'm gonna feel bad for him. Oh, <laughs> and then geez. the fans of Philly are just booing him. Yeah. yeah. They're like boo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hey, you know, hey, these guys get paid a lot of money. You know what I mean? And so, uh, uh, speaking of that, one other thing about basketball. What about uh, the Supreme Court's decision about paying? About uh, time. Country? It is about time. It is yeah. about time. About Billion, time. It's a billion yeah. dollar industry in terms of um, uh, uh, college basketball and football. Billion dollars. Yeah. No, it's about it's about time. I welcome it, uh, and uh, it's the first step toward paying college players. Uh, salary for uh, the, the sports they play. And it's also the first step of really breaking up the complete control that the uh, NCAA has over the life of players. And sure, it's really, sure. it's a, it's a, it's a modern day, it's indentured servitude is what it is. And uh, it's about time we break it up. And the bottom line to that is in terms of the overall picture is that only about, I think it's between five and Eight percent of all the kids who play in college get to play pro ball. It's not even 10, yeah, so it's not, it's yeah, not even ten percent. Yeah. You know? So all right, we'll close uh, with uh, the challenge I throw to you. Uh, it's the fifty-year anniversary of one of the what they claim is one of the great years for music. I have since come to the conclusion that it's kind of hype, and there are other years, uh, <laughs> but whatever. Let's uh, Nick Dumkey and I did a whole show on our favorite songs in nineteen seventy-one. And uh, Richard Steele knows music. He knows all kinds of music. He's been a disc jockey in jazz, uh, popular music, soul music, R&B, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and uh, so in your humble opinion. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, drum roll, please. What is, I'll give you three. What are the three greatest songs? of 1971 or the three greatest albums if you want to go in that direction well i don't i don't know about the others i don't i, I don't go back that far in terms of my memory i'm old now and so i don't remember stuff but but uh to me the greatest recording uh in that year was without question was marvin gay what's going on i mean this the, the the lyrics in those songs are relevant today about the about the you know about uh you you name it you know racism uh the police uh, the ecology. I mean, uh, how do you get all that in one? And and you know that Rolling Stone just uh, voted that album number one. Um, so uh, I, I, that was fantastic. And the other song that I said to you was a big song because you like James Brown. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, was uh, uh, what was the song? Uh, you told it to me, and I'll read it right now. I can't remember. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, 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 Talk uh, about memory. Uh, uh, here we go. Richard Steele. Uh, oh, Hot Pants. Hot Pants, yeah, right, hot right, right. Pants. Hot Pants, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that was a big record, a really big record, you know, so. Were you working in Chicago in, in a radio station? 71, yeah, yeah. I was. Which one? Fact. I was working at WGRT at that point, which later became WJPC mm. when, when Johnson, Johnson bought it. Johnson bought it, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I met James Brown twice. Uh, once when I was working in Roanoke, Virginia, my first job, and um, his show came to town, and I was going out with a girl who, uh, and I didn't have any money, I was broke, I was making like $80 a week. <laughs> uh, 160 every two weeks, which came to 128 every two weeks. So uh, the lady I was going out with, she said, uh, I really want to see James Brown. Well, we got tickets at the radio station. It wasn't our, the the, pot, the rock station was the one that, you know, they were bringing the show in. So she said, I really want to go. I really want to go. I said, yeah, but I'm depressed. I don't have any money. And, uh, but she wanted to go. So we went. After the show, uh, James Brown came to the, the area. Uh, it was a, a brand new uh, stadium and uh, performance center. And he came back and introduced himself and, uh, he said, you know, I wanted to meet everybody. You know, we shook his hand. And we were all impressed because all his people had all his people had these great fur coats on. And they were you know, really sharp and, and all of that. And then he said, uh, when he got ready to leave, he said, oh, what happened with that too? Was he, somebody, one of our guys was smoking and put a cigarette out on the floor. And he said, he went to pick it up. He said, no, no, we don't want to do that because uh, we don't want these white people to say that, you know, we came and, and, and did some things and left some, some garbage and all of that because it was a brand new place. And so I was impressed with that. But the other part of the being impressed, he as he left, he said, uh, I want y'all to, in a minute, go back in that room. And this, this, this is Mr. Bobbitt. See, see Mr. Bobbitt back in the room, you know? <laughs> so and we went to see Mr. Bobbitt. I think it was about four of us. And I had heard they always gave us some money, but I said, you know, why would they do that here? We're in Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah. Nobody gives a damn about whether we play the record or not. Went back in the room. And Charles Bobbitt, he said, uh, he said he had a book, you know, he had a little book, and he said, uh, you know, I think he gave everybody like $150, which was huge at that yeah. point for me. So he said, well, you know, like this time, sign this book, you know, you know, you receive the money. So nobody wrote their right name in the book. You know what I mean? <laughs> we were smart enough to know that, you know what I mean? And uh, but the thinking behind that for James Brown is, and I met him years later when I was program director yeah. at WJPC. Um, was that when he went to these little towns, he knew people weren't making any money. And so when he doled out that little cash, you never know where this person is, is going to be later on. At a later point, I'm a program director, music director right. in Chicago. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, it makes a difference. And he he did that all across the country. You know what I mean? So it's cold cash, not a check. Oh, yeah, cash. cold cash, right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Steele has just confessed to payola. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. But I believe the statute of limitations has expired. run out. Right, right. And right. Now, part of the story that he has not told is that the name he wrote uh, back in 1971 was Ben Jarofsky. He put my name in that book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story, man. Uh, you got to meet uh, James Brown, and he, you got paid for it. So... Uh, you yeah, the second be. time he offered me a ride in his uh, jet, his airplane at that point. Uh, he came and he saw Mr. Johnson. Johnson called me up in the office and, and he said, you know, uh, I just wanted to meet James Brown. And I told him, I said, you don't, probably don't remember, but I, I met you when I was in Roanoke, Virginia. And he said, yeah, uh, Barry, he remembered the owner's name, Barry, whatever his name, he remembered that. And he said, yeah, well, that, that, that's nice. That was back in the day, you know, and, uh, and I remembered it because he wanted a record put on like right away, uh, his new record. And so I said to him, I said, well, Mr. Brown, we uh, he had to call him Mr. I said, Mr. Brown, we uh, changed the record list uh, once a week. And, you know, it, that's coming up. We'll probably, we, we change it on Wednesday. It's like, it's like Monday. I said, we change it on Thursday. So he said, yeah, but I want you to hear it. So we went downstairs to the station. We listened to the record. Uh, and and it, was, it was a good record. It was one of his great big hits, right? But it was a good, he didn't put out bad records. Yeah. So he said, well, you know, uh, Mr. Steele, you, you know, put that right on. I said, no, nah, I'm going to wait till Thursday. He said, but it'll be on. There's no question about it. He said, so then he said, well, you know what, uh, Mr. Steele, I, I, he, at that point he had a television show in Atlanta. Uh -huh. And he said, well, if you're ever in Atlanta, 
uh, look me up and uh, come on by and I'll put you on the show. And you ain't got to wait till Thursday. <laughs> well, oh, okay. uh, well done, James Brown. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I'll never forget that. Yeah. You know. Well done, James Brown. Oh my God, James Brown and my mom have some things in common. You know what I mean? <laughs> that ability to point out that little distinction. There. Uh, I'm going to take one last look to see if the there's been a verdict. And uh, hold on, and I don't believe there has been. So uh, we'll just have to wait until our next show hold on looking in real time no no verdict uh to be sent so um uh we'll uh, have to wait uh for the next time to see uh what kind of verdict i i personally we talked about this uh, earlier i think they should throw the book at him and i think richard uh well seeing how hard he is in paul george he's even tougher on Derek showman <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i, I agree with way. that but i think that realistically he might get half of that sentence yeah, you know uh, you know, ten or fifteen years. You know, sure that he looked looked it right in the eye, looked at the camera right in the eye, and it's like I'm gonna do. This yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was you know, I mean, but but think about this. Without the video, I mean, you know, and even with that, if if you heard the prosecutors and the guy who uh, used to be attorney general uh, who was on the case, yeah, uh, and he was saying that they were all worried. I mean, there was never a moment yeah. when they weren't worried that they'd lose the case. I mean, even with the video. Yeah. Uh, so you'd have to have all of that. You'd have to have that video. You have to have witnesses. You have to have uh, the guy's track record as a police. You'd have to have all of that with the video with the guy on his, his knee on the guy's neck and the guy say, I can't breathe. You have If you didn't have all of that, and you still might have lost yeah. with all of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that's another situation, too, in talking about other police officers. There were two or three other guys there. And none of them like said, you know. No, they didn't uh, say anything. Yeah, they're yeah. they're coming up. They're trials. They're coming up. Yeah, their trials coming yep, up. Yep, yep. Uh, and uh, no, that's a very. Um, without the video. Without the video. <laughs> yeah, you know. Without the video. Yeah, we all know. Uh, all right, Richard Steele, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to come on the show, but also for driving up to my humble little house, my humble little attic here. It's nice, really yeah, nice, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 nice hideaway. A nice yeah. hideaway, and uh, this is where I do the show, and Richard's the first person, uh, first guest ever in this, and so uh, maybe- Really? We'll... Nobody's done this before? No, we all do it virtual, and- Okay, well, know. I had some technical issues well, virtually, we're not going to go into you that, know, yeah. you know, we don't have to talk about it. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah. And what's up? Last to have you here. And uh, we're going to bring you back. Now that I know you don't mind driving. And Richard doesn't mind driving, by the way. It's something I've learned about him. You do not mind driving. No, as long as it's daylight. I don't, you know, yeah, after dark. Yeah. I don't drive anymore after dark. Uh, well, we don't do the so show. So we don't do the show after yeah, dark. Yeah, yeah. So, you, know, <laughs> so you got no problem. So you'll be good. Uh, so anyway, I want to thank Richard Steele for coming by. And I also want to thank DJ Nate, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. What a great job sitting in for uh, Dr. D. Dennis on vacation. Dennis will be back. Next week, and I'll just repeat what I always say, uh, DJ Nate is a DJ. He does weddings, he does parties, he does graduations, house parties, bar mitzvahs, commencements, whatever it is. He'll play old music, he'll play new music, he'll play music that I like, that Richard Steele liked, and that millennials like. He does what, it all. Whatever you need. Whatever you need, he's DJ Nate. So uh, he's ready to DJ your party. And he did a great job for us. So uh, DJ Nate. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everybody. Ooh.